Today's Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the na that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. spirit of sonship and by him we cry Abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us today as we gather online after a pretty crazy week. It's been quite something to pull church together without the ability to meet, to film, or even leave our homes. And I think I've missed a trick this week, given we had to record much of it on iPhones, because one of the best sermons I've heard this year was actually on this passage by a guy called Jamie Seafang. Our regulars who've been along to a vision dinner in recent weeks will know who Jamie is, one of the staff we'd love to bring on to our team next year as we prepare to plant another church. I listened to quite a few of Jamie's sermons this year, and it was his sermon on this passage that convinced me that he was the person for the job. After collecting all the phone footage from people this week, it dawned on me that I should have just called Jamie and asked him to re-record his excellent sermon on his phone and send it in. Anyway, it dawned on me a little too late, so you've got me this morning. And by the way, uh, by part of an update on our vision dinners, as of Friday morning, we'd received responses from 82% of our households who had attended a dinner, which is awesome. And we're well on the way to being able to proceed as planned for 2021 and beyond. 
But if you're one of those who haven't had an opportunity to respond yet, we do need your help. We totally get there's been a few pretty major distractions this week as we headed into this quite sudden and pretty full-on lockdown. If you can hit the website, not the post, and let us know before your head hits the pillow tonight, we do want to hear from all of our households. And the leadership team meets tomorrow to make our staffing and budget decisions for 2021 and recommend them to our network board who meet on Wednesday to approve our budget. One of the things that really stayed with me from Jamie's sermon was the way he explored verse 12 of today's reading. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Obligation is one of those words we don't like much. And what a sermon illustration we've had this week with our snap COVID lockdown. Being instantly released from many of our obligations and becoming abundantly aware of those that remain. Getting up early for kids cricket on Saturday? Released from that obligation. Waking up early to set up the RSL for church on Sunday? Released from that obligation. The overdue job around the home that requires a trip to Bunnings to get supplies? Well, you're released this weekend from that obligation. If you're one of the two-thirds of people who have jobs you can't do from home, for a few days at least, you've been released from that obligation. On the flip side, if you're an essential worker in health or the supermarket or bottle shops apparently, your obligation remains. We often dream of the obligation-free life, but is there such a thing? If you think about it a little longer, if your world was free from obligations, you'd never be able to take out a loan and buy a home. Without obligations, you wouldn't have a job, as a job is based on your employer having certain obligations to you and vice versa. Our government has certain obligations to us and us to them. And relationships without obligation, you wouldn't have any, because there is no such thing as an obligation-free marriage obligation-free parenting. We may have many acquaintances in life, but there is no such thing as an obligation-free friendship. Life simply cannot exist without obligations. Despite our initial attraction to the idea, just a few minutes thinking what it would actually look like is quite horrifying. Obligation in and of itself, if you think about it, is a neutral concept. Whether it's a good thing or not depends entirely to who or what you are obliged to. Today's passage looks beyond what we can see with our eyes to make a very important point that every human being on the planet is either obliged to live in accordance to the flesh or the spirit. There is no middle ground. One is a cruel master leading only to chaos, hostility and death whereas the other connects us to the loving creator of the universe, ultimately bringing life and peace. So a bit hangs on this. If you're checking out who Jesus is from the comfort of your lounge room, welcome. I hope you find this really helpful. And for the follower of Jesus, I think today's passage tells us much about our experience as Christians this side of heaven that I hope you find really encouraging and practically helpful. 
So let's get into the passage today. It'll be great to have your Bibles or your app open to Romans 8 as we do so. If you've been with us in recent weeks, my other than Jesus boss Paul Harrington has been with us unpacking Romans 6 and 7, which has shown us much about how Christians should think about sin in their own lives. In the fairly contentious Romans 7, our Paul at least nailed his colours to the mast that he sees Romans 7 describing the present experience of all Christians in the world today, and that's my take too. That there is an internal battle in the Christian life where we actually want to please God, which is a work of the Spirit of God in us. That picture of delighting in the law of God, chapter 7, verse 22. But at the same time, our flesh is waging war against that good desire so that we do not do what is right with evil lying close at hand within our flesh. Hence Paul's rather frustrated conclusion about his own state in verse 44 of chapter 7. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. And then turning to the comfort of the good news of Jesus, he then praises God saying in verse 25, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I think that it's in that last phrase there that nails the tension we've found in recent chapters. Are we slaves, bonded servants to God, or are we bound to serve sin? And we want a simple answer to that. Whereas Paul says, as a whole person, actually both. Making a distinction between body and mind in some way. So as we come to today's reading in chapter 8, I think all of the threads of chapters 7, 6 and halfway back into 5 are drawn together into quite a stunning conclusion. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, verse 2 tells us, Because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now we've been told many times in Romans so far that the Christian has been set free. But here's where we're told it's God's Spirit that is our liberator, rescuing us from our fallen state, this spiritual realm where our sin, which made us use, um, uh, which made use of God's law to condemn us to death for disobedience, held us captive. But if we still sin as Christians, how can this be so? Well, through Jesus, as we read on, who came as a sin offering so that God could uphold his righteous requirement that sin needs to be foolish punished. And it was as Christ died upon the cross. Now, a simple thing to say that you can spend a lifetime trying to grasp, why would we benefit from Christ's sacrificial death? I loved Paul's sermon image from a, uh, a few weeks back in uh, chapter 6 as he looked at the idea of a tandem skydiver strapped to the beginner, bound together with a common fate. Ever since, as I've tried to grapple with this idea of being free from condemnation, verse 1, for those who are in Christ, I keep reminding myself, like a skydiving instructor, Jesus has bound himself to me. Where he goes, I go. We cannot be separated. Where he goes, I go. An image that brings me great joy. 
if Jesus meets the righteous requirements of the law, I'm strapped to Jesus where he goes, I go. So I can say he died for sin, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. But what does it mean as an ongoing sinner to not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? Well, Paul goes on to explain. The first distinction Paul makes asks us, who is master of our mind? Is our mind set on what the flesh desires or the spirit? Paul has been using the flesh and spirit concepts as kind of shorthand with the flesh representing our fallen selves that exists apart from God in a deep and uncompromising rebellion against him. In contrast, those with the spirit of God are not apart from God at all, but rather have God's spirit dwelling within them, an extraordinary gift of God's kindness and grace. Without God at work in us, our minds are firmly set, obligated you might say, to pursue what our flesh desires. But if God is living within us, a radical shift in what our, our mind, our inner self, and what it desires takes place and we begin to desire what the Spirit of God at work in us desires. Which I think ties together well with what Paul has just said in chapter 7, that he can say, as a justified Christian in Christ, because of Christ's death, liberated by the Spirit to believe, he now has another more powerful force at work from the indwelling Spirit of God that changes his desires. The flesh is a cruel master, to be sure, that only leads to death. Yet bound to Christ now with his Spirit within him, Life and peace are now his. Verses 7 and 8 stand as a confronting counterpoint. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. To borrow a line from Jamie, the terrifying yet beautiful truth of the gospel, this good news of Jesus, is that we don't make ourselves right with God through our good works. It rather depends on where our deepest affections lay. The spirit-filled believer wants to please God, even if their flesh wages war against them as they seek to do so. Those without the spirit of God can only but seek to please their flesh, deeply hostile to the idea of living to please God. You may say, how is that fair if that's you? Or if you're a Christian, you'll know many a person who you admire, who does good works that perhaps put your Christian friends to shame. How is it fair to say that you or they cannot please God? Well, it's because it's all about relationship between us and God. Marriage is the most frequently used analogy in the Bible to help us get what's at the heart of how God feels about our infidelity to him. Now, if I paid almost zero attention to my wife, if I slept around, if I felt no obligation to nurture or care for my kids, I wouldn't be able to go to her at the end of my life and list off my good works in other areas and expect her to be happy with me. I could build a children's hospital, bring relief to millions in poverty through fundraising and be a great friend to many. But it wouldn't change a thing in terms of our relationship no matter how extensive my good works, she would not be pleased with me, and rightly so. Serving the flesh, ourselves, and our desires, however noble we may present our good works to others, 
We do far worse to the Creator God than a bad husband to his wife. We're hostile to his rule, and we cannot make amends without the Spirit at work in us changing our desires to submit willingly to God, longing to please Him, belonging to Him once more. Verse 9 makes this point very clearly, switching metaphors slightly, asking us which realm we belong to. If it is the realm of the Spirit, even if our bodies are broken, decaying and leading us to sin, the Spirit of God gives us life that endures. New life now, a new mind longing to please God, and the promise of a new resurrected body in the future, which has no such problems. Our future is secure if we are in Christ. Where he goes, we go. And so we come to it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Every Christian has an obligation to the loving Creator God who brings life and peace, the one who sent Jesus to die for us, who gives the Spirit of to bring liberty, life and faith and the power to go to war against sin in our life. Obligations to something or someone that is good are what makes the world go around. An obligation to such an awesome God who has freed us from our obligation to sin and death is a beautiful thing. Our flesh still rages against the spirit. How often does that inner voice tell us not to pay the cost of publicly identifying with Jesus? How many a person believes in Jesus yet wants to know what's the bare minimum I need to do to keep in God's good books? Do you catch yourself looking at those who only have an obligation to please the flesh and see it as freedom or enjoyment? Our sin is a formidable enemy that encourages us to feed the addiction to nurture the secret delights, to live a double life. It's always a bait and switch, however, that presents as something you want, but only leads to death. Yet Paul can say this with no hint of working for our own salvation, because he knows by personal experience that to go to war against sin is the privilege only a justified Christian, bound to Christ, freed from the realm of sin, death and condemnation, can undertake. So if you're weighed down by sin and they're ever before you and you long to please God, please don't doubt your salvation. It's actually a mark that you are a spirit-led child of God. Instead, as someone freed by God, Father, Son and Spirit, ask how can I seek God's help, likely through Bible, prayer and the help of a brother and sister in Christ? How can I put sin to death in my life? Or you can flip it the other way to the person without a battle against sin in their life who might be sitting in church. You've got to ask yourself, am I just pleasing my own flesh? Because with the Spirit of God comes the battle. For the person considering Jesus, today may be a bit of an affront to you. I get it. But if this is all true about Jesus, and we'd love to help you explore that for yourself, maybe it's time to switch teams because none of us are free from obligation. It's just a matter of whether that obligation is to something or someone good or not. And without God in the picture, 
You can pursue the desperate task to do something that matters in this world before death. Maybe you think you can achieve it. Maybe it'll be a colossal disappointment. But that's an obligation that can do nothing to solve death and will count for zero if you find yourself before a holy God one day in judgment, as Jesus claims. Or you can switch teams and take up an obligation to the God who made you, who loves you, who offers to freely make you right with him. And more than that, wants you to know that you are his precious child to obtain a glorious inheritance along with Jesus in eternal dwellings. Where he goes, we go. As we suffer today, seeking to put sin to death, we will also share in Jesus' glory, as our final three verses so beautifully put it. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. After I pray, we're going to have a great song called He Lives, which is wonderfully encouraging, a tribute, I think of it, to the Spirit's work in the life of every believer. You can listen along or sing in full voice at home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for setting us free from the realm of sin that takes your law's good commands and uses them to sentence us to death because of our disobedience and lack of fidelity to you. We thank you together with our Lord Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit, that you work together as one to liberate us and bring us into the realm of the Spirit, Spirit which brings life and peace. Please, Father God, do a great work in our hearts so that day by day we may treasure the obligation we have to you. Help us not to pay lip service to repenting of sin in our lives. Rather, help us to put it to the sword. In the times where we feel the battle raging within us, help us to appreciate the soothing balm of the good news of Jesus all the more, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. May this cause us to love you all the more and fan the flames of the Spirit within us to want to be more like your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that as you save, you gather people together in your name. We thank you for our local church family and pray for all such gatherings across the globe as part of your one worldwide family of people saved by your dear son, Jesus. Help us to treasure what it means to be your children and brothers and sisters in Christ to one another now. We pray we may be able to gather again safely in your name. Help us to love our neighbours as ourselves and to treasure our relationship with you above all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.